You're listening to Flipping Tables on Sunrise Robot. Find out how you can support us at sunriserobot.net slash support. Welcome to episode 84 of Flipping Tables. I'm one of your hosts, Michael Edwards. And I am David Lyons. And uh, I think a couple weeks ago, Mike, we talked about how if you have a photograph of keys, you can print those keys or get them made. And exactly that thing happened. So anybody within the sound of my voice who has a TSA-approved lock, you now have a TSA-approved worthless thing. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) As though if you, I mean, even with that little lock, as if a stranger had possession of your luggage privately, they couldn't just cut it open. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> even uh, a standard suitcase, you can actually just put a pen in between the teeth of the zipper and just open the zipper. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, a suitcase, and, and it, in both of these articles that I linked in the show notes, which are interesting because they 3D printed the keys, which I think is like its own scary and cool thing um but they uh apparently we've known for like decades that you can duplicate a key from a terrible photo from really far away even at an angle because there's only so many key only so many ways a key can be cut so you can like figure it out but even in these articles, they say, like, the best way to not have your luggage jacked is to not let your luggage get jacked. <laughs> but, but, I mean, that aside, I think the real story here is we're trying, we're expected to trust these people, and then they turn around and they're like, what if we just gave out the keys to the kingdom? <laughs> so that that's what really freaked me out about this, but... For anybody who was like, oh, surely that will never happen. Well, the 3D printing schematics are now available on GitHub for anyone. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, so there's a new hope for an, an open video format, or, or so the, the optimist in us would hope for. So this is a, a new group, a new collective of Amazon, Netflix, Google, Microsoft, some very large players that are partnering to try to create a next-gen video format. And this is not a this is a story we've heard before because how many years ago was it with the the Theora and the WebM? Um, uh, Theora's been around as long as I've cared about this kind of stuff. Um, WebM was a little bit more recent. Yeah, was it like OGG Vorbis or whatever for the the Linux yeah. diehards? So the the whole backstory on this is that the the entrenched video format now is H two six four. And uh, the reason it got into power um, is partly because it uh, was offered royalty-free from a, a patent collective that was just like, you know what, no one has to pay to use this, though they may be changing their tune on that now, which is what everyone feared. Um, but it was also, the real reason for its success um, in the past was because, I think, because it had mobile hardware support, so it would not destroy batteries trying to run video, which is kind of one of the, <laughs> the big areas where you wanted a, a good video codec is you don't want to, you want a phone that lasts more than 30 minutes. Um, <laughs> um, and at the time, WebM and Theora came out as like, we're going to be open options that are not patent encumbered, that you don't have this lingering worry that someday the tax man's going to come and say, hey, that thing you're invested in, please pony up some money now to keep using it. Um, that's all a great story. I love it. But what kind of happened was um, the, the truth of the matter is that the video codec world in terms of patents is so screwed up 
that uh, you can't re- like even if you design your own new video codec and you try the hardest you can to avoid anyone else's work, you're almost certainly infringing on something. Yeah, and so someone creating an open format and saying I'm not going to patent this and I'm just going to make it free to the world can't really deliver on that promise because someone else can still come in and say, hey, I own patents anyway, pay me. Well, and this is all deeply tied back to an entirely separate conversation we don't, I don't think we have time for about how a lot of software patents are considered. Uh, uh, there's a specific legal term for something when it's like obvious. Like you shouldn't be able to patent something that's considered obvious, which is why Apple, I think, lost their patent eventually on on the swipe to unlock because... They were like, yeah, that's a slide button that does a single function. That's not really a revolutionary invention. And it's like, yes, the design is very clever and it was new at the time and we're super sorry, but, you know, turn to doorknob is not really something one doorknob company can claim they own forever. (laughs) Like you can't claim to own turning things. And that's what we've seen with these, these codecs, because if you have a patent for something like displays video on the screen like that's you know sends video over the internet in a highly compressed format like that's not if one person owns that you've basically said they own all video for all time so that this is hopefully these many giant companies of which apple is noticeably absent but this this many giant companies coming together could use leverage to be like hey maybe you should overturn some of those ridiculous patents but you're right we've heard this story before webm by the way only 2010 quite recent the aura was 2004 um but so i like personally i'm all in favor like let's open this up come on let's not have this be encumbered but it's just kind of a sad truth that you can't really do an unencumbered video codec right now. And I, I don't know if there's an option besides waiting for this stuff to go public domain after 20 <laughs> years from whenever it was. It's kind of like Nintendo's D-pad patents. Like, I think they're, they have to be up now. Like, the NES is 30 years ago. Yeah. Uh, and that's just one of those things. It's like, in hindsight, it's so like, yeah, directions. Up, down, left, right. Like, how, <laughs> how did they own directions for a while? Yeah, um, but I really think the thing that killed WebM and Theora at the time, as far as mainstream acceptance and support and everything, um, partly just because Apple said nope. But um, <laughs> it's it's the bigger picture is the the mobile context with hardware support, which I don't know if that's that probably, presumably would not be a problem at this point with Amazon and Netflix and them. They wouldn't create something stupid like that where there isn't some kind of efficient way to use it on mobile devices where you care about battery well and netflix too because mobile and low power tend to kind of go hand in hand because if you're drawing power from a battery you want to minimize your power usage but then there is a a plugged in style of low power which is like a roku box or a chrome device or something where you also need hardware video encoding and decryption and all that stuff but it needs to be done super super fast and really lightweight so yeah, it, it would be, I mean, Google's all about speed, Amazon's all about low cost, Netflix is all about movies and literally nothing, I, you know, video is like their entire thing. Microsoft is, they've got good research, so that <laughs> that part can be involved. R&D is strong. It is, it's really strong there. <laughs> but yeah, I, I just, I you know, it's, I'm, I'm 100% with you. It's like, I'm hopeful, but I'm also not holding my breath. <laughs> 
what I really want to know is if you're going to play Pokemon Go. I, I might well, first, let me let me back up. Let me back up. Did you play Pokemon as a kid? You had an, no, o, an OG game. I was just going to say this. I've never played a Pokemon <laughs> game for longer than two minutes. Do you play as Pikachu and you play Smash Brothers? Anything? Maybe once <laughs> in every 75 character choices. <laughs> so this is, is my problem with Pokemon stuff is I'm excited by proxy entirely. Like... <laughs> I am so deep into like nerd and geek culture that I'm like, yay, Pokemon stuff. And then I remember like, I don't really identify with this at all. So it's, it's, I guess Nintendo or no, it's, uh, is it that game company that makes Pokemon? Yeah. And the, I mean, Nintendo produces and publishes them all and they're involved, but right. yeah, it is technically another company. Yeah. So, so that game company and, uh, Niantic, which is the company that made Ingress, which I think used to be owned by Google, but in all the alphabet nonsense got spun out into their own thing. <laughs> so there's a lot of partnerships and handholding going on. But they, they made a game that's basically uh, a mobile game for Android and iOS. You're out in the world, your phone notifies you, or you have to open up the app and it's like, hey, there's a Pokemon nearby. And then there's some kind of gameplay mechanic where you like catch the Pokemon. And there's actually a like an IOT style wristband thing that looks kind of like the map pin in Google Maps, but it's the Pokeball colors. And that, if you have that, if you buy that accessory, you don't have to open the app. It will tell you like, hey, there's a Pokemon nearby. So yeah. they're kind of like getting you to buy that thing, which probably costs them a buck fifty to produce because it's probably just a Bluetooth dongle. Yeah, it, it, it pairs with your phone, but tells you when you're not looking at your phone that there's stuff going on. Right. So th this is one of those things like it's, I mean, I, I'm interested because it's like it's it's a VR, AR, alternate reality, get people out and move in, interact in with the world, but still technology. I'm I'm very excited for all those interesting blendy things, but really I'm just kind of like, wow, Nintendo is licensing. They're, yeah. they're coming out of the gate on this mobile front with one of their biggest franchises. Well, I think Internet of Things needs to get a lot richer before I care much about this kind of gaming. Because to <laughs> me, it's it's almost like Assassin's Creed, like icon hunting. Like, just go to that spot. Okay, good job. I'll go to this spot. Okay. <laughs> well, and I don't know what the the so in in uh, in Ingress, uh, the the first game that this is kind of similar to uh, from Niantic Labs, um, they. You didn't really have to do anything. It was like a tiny bit of resource management. But other than that, it was just an excuse to like walk around and go to famous places and like who owns, you know, the, the Statue of Liberty, like does the, the resistance or the bad guys, the enlightened, you know, like who owns the, this landmark or whatever. So it was more just a like, Hey nerd, get up off your ass kind of thing. And also like an explore the world kind of thing. But with the Pokemon thing, they already have an entire game universe here so it could be go to this place and then you also have to like do a normal pokemon fight like you would in a normal pokemon game they haven't released all of that uh those kinds of details yet so i'll be interested to see uh, you know my, is my neighborhood just gonna be full of like 12 to 45 year olds running around like <laughs> trying to capture a pokemon in the tall grass which happens to be my front yard and if so, I mean that's cool. Just don't don't mess up my yard, please. Yeah, I don't know. 
Um, yeah, I'm more just like happy that Nintendo is trying to create apps for other platforms and like not particularly interested in this one, but like keep going. Yeah, I mean the 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 gamer in me, the part of me that's excited about this is strictly if they're willing to lead with this large of a product for them, like the, a franchise, I should say, that seems pretty positive. Like this is a new thing. They didn't just take Pokemon and say like, you can play Pokemon gold on your iPhone, which would be really easy and really lazy and make them a bajillion dollars. And they could have done that and maybe they will eventually, but that's not what they started with. So they're at least setting like a good precedent of, Hey, we're actually putting effort into this. So that makes me optimistic for like a cool Mario game or an interesting Metroidvania style game that could Maybe please, yeah. for the love of God, give me more Metroidvania. Or games. give me a Zelda tower defense game. Like, yeah, just milk that. Like, just yeah, copy Kingdom Rush exactly <laughs> and just throw Zelda on it. Just and skin it I with will, Zelda. I will spend money on that. Yeah, there would be that would be an excellent use of the uh, the the link uh, fry. Shut up and take my rupees. <laughs> yeah. I'd be perfect for that. Uh, but anyway, there was an Apple event last week, and yeah. I don't think either of us really want to rehash the whole thing, but there's a couple super interesting things that came out of it. And Mike, if you see a Silas, th- that means they blew it, right? I mean, that's what I was told. Oh, man. The, <laughs> I think it's easier to rip on them for creating a giant-ass tablet than the use of the stylus. But, I mean, we have a link here in the show notes to the 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 macalope which is the the satire slash pundit skewering wing of of macworld but um i I reacted pretty quickly to this because it's like oh so i mean if you're under a rock apple announced a a stylus for a new giant 13 inch ipad and it's specifically for drawing and they didn't show it for navigating everything in the os it was like in the notes app or in a photoshop app um use this for drawing purposes um, and so everyone's trotting out this uh, 07 quote from Jobs from the iPhone unveiling um, where he showed a bunch of smartphones of the time, the BlackBerry, the whatever Palm had, the Trio and so forth. And uh, they were very stylus oriented, tiny tap targets, can't use your finger, resistive like Nintendo DS style touch. And he was just like, who wants a stylus? This is dumb. Use your finger. And... Uh, Everyone's trotting that out and then going, ha ha, Apple, you're going back on your word. And this isn't to say Apple hasn't gone back on the word. Who wants to watch video on an iPod was something Steve Jobs did say. And then next year he was like, video iPod. Ah, JK. <laughs> um, but I, I think that it's misapplied in this case. Not that I feel like Apple needs defenders. Like there's a million white knights out there like on Twitter spending all their energy every day trying to defend a giant billion dollar company but in this case i'm more just annoyed that like context man like every (laughs) single smartphone that had touch involved in it was using styli and one of the big things that the iphone brought to the market and popularized was no most things you should just use your finger and not have this thing you're gonna lose and that's very different than professional digital artists someday if software shows up for the ipad to do this um can buy a hundred dollar pen and uh can do specialized drawing design tasks and that's like very different than to get around the system you have to use a pen yes 
which is why I, cause I've, I've done this. Like I'm absolutely a hundred percent guilty of trotting this quote out. And apparently there, there's two similar quotes that people have like sort of mashed together into like one super quote. And <laughs> one of them was Abraham Lincoln. The one who said it, <laughs> that's exactly right about Harry Potter. And, uh, one of the quotes is this, uh, nobody wants to use a stylus like that side of it. And that's from the original, um, Macworld event and that so that was after the phone had been released and he's talking about it like this is the reason we don't have a stylus because you shouldn't need a special tool for something like navigating the system right and then on a touch device so his point was like you already have tools to touch things they're your yeah. fingers <laughs> and then um there's another quote where he the if you see a stylus they blew it like that that part <laughs> which was actually from years later and is not about that. It's about interacting with the iPad. Like if you see a stylus to interact with a tablet, that's not good. But yeah, Wacom tablets that are supposed to be simulating the pen and paper experience. Yes, you still need the pen part <laughs> yeah. of the paper part. So this, I, I mean, like I said, I'm totally guilty of this, and and I, I have, I have, I have foot in the mouth. But that being said, um. The pencil thing, eh. <laughs> I mean, you. We were just talking about this and and the latency and and if they could solve this problem. And so, if they solve the latency, if it's really say like sub ten or fifteen milliseconds, like would that be good yeah. enough for you? Oh, also the thousand dollars to obtain the thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would be. I think the cheapest you could get a new pro and the pencil would be 900. So yeah, basically you're close to a thousand bucks. Um, kudos for not going 16 gig on the bottom end. Wait, <laughs> no, not kudos. That's the way it should be. But, um, no, I think Apple's does have some challenges here. Um, for one, the, the iPad, the, I feel like Apple's always kind of hoped it would end up having more grown up software. Like, Hey, come on, make real apps. We put iMovie on it. We put GarageBand on it. Trying to be like, hey guys, don't just make games and list apps. Like, make a real productivity <laughs> things. And like, there's some of it, but it's still like pales compared to our our grown up brethren of Windows and OS 10. And I I really do see this new iPad as Apple's stab at no, really, let's try to do this. Let's try to grow up a mobile OS into being productive, but still not lose sight of the vision of simplicity that iOS is going for that OS 10 is not really trying to do. And, you know, where Microsoft's kind of like, we're going to make Windows span the entire range, and then we're going to back off from that after it's kind of reaches market <laughs> failure. Um, Apple's more like, no, we're going to grow up from the bottom, not try to shrink down from the top. And um, I do think this new iPad Pro, which starts at 800 bucks and goes up to almost 1100 you know, like where you can get a MacBook Pro. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's a statement of, I mean, it's like Apple trying to say, this is our vision of where computing should go, and we're trying to bring people along to it. Here's a keyboard. Here's a, here's a futuristic pen that's like a, a Wacom pen, which, yeah, we discovered the real pronunciation is Wacom. It is Wacom. Not Wacom and definitely not Wacom. <laughs> Wacom. Um, that one, I never would have <laughs> believed that. If that was the right way, I would have said it wrong on purpose. Yeah. So I, I'm kind of like, 
I'm interested to watch it because I'm like, they're trying to grow it up. And like, this is, I mean, Tim, I think there is a Tim Cook quote. This is what they see as the future of personal computing. And so the question is, can the software grow up? Will third parties, will Adobe show up and make Illustrator for, you know, or whatever Illustrator should be in this new world? Okay. So I think you have hit the exact nail on the head of why I don't know the right way to think about what's happening in computing right now. Because if you uh, think back to um, the iPad or the, yeah, the iPad, the, the Mac pro, like remember how everybody was pissed that the cheese grater was like the last Mac pro. And they were just like waiting and waiting. And then finally the big stupid (laughs) trash can came out and everybody who cares about that sort of thing was like, yay trash can. And that was exciting. If you needed, the truck and who did Steve Jobs actually say that? Like some people need a truck. I think there is an interview somewhere where he said most people won't need trucks. Okay, he didn't say there will be no trucks. But so, so whoever that's attributed to, because the the metaphor is good, even if he's not the source. So the, he's never the source of his best. <laughs> Fair enough. Except they blew it. I love that one. Yeah, that's true. Um, but the uh, you know that metaphor of like most people just need a car. Some people need a truck, but some people can really just get by with like a bike. Like if you live in a place with beautiful weather and you don't have to travel very far and wide and load, you know, lug a lot of, of, of heavy things around, like you don't even need a car. You can just get by with a bike. And I think what we're finding from the mobile explosion is most people are pretty freaking happy with a bike. And that's why the iPad pro, which I'm sorry, can I just, I really hate that name. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know why. There's nothing really inherently wrong with it, but I really feel like they should have gone for iPad Plus. I think that's their way of saying, really, please, let's turn this into a grown-up. See, and but- that's that's exactly what I'm taking forever and a day to get to, which is if you make a computer like the iP- or the, the MacBook Air, there's so many freaking names. <laughs> if you make a computer like the MacBook Air, which is already an ultra light, ultra portable, 50 bajillion battery hour life machine that you can get around and do super grown up work on, why would I want what is essentially a MacBook Air, but not, and also it can break apart at the hinge where the magnet is? Yeah. Like, that's what I don't understand. If the iPad is the future of computing, they mean it's the, I would think they mean it's the future of computing for the average person. And what the average person needs is Crossy Road, Bejeweled, their mail, Facebook. Anyone who needs more than that, like the pro level stuff, we want a a keyboard with high levels of feedback. We want a mouse that's not going to give us, you know, repetitive stress injury, which by the way, I'm back to the Apple mouse and my hand is killing me. But (laughs) Logitech, man, just order it right now. Go (laughs) to Amazon, find their $20 M500 or whatever it's called. There's, there's this hundred dollar one that has no, 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 no. Okay. (laughs) We'll talk about that offline, on the line, off the air. Um, but the, this, Not, this is what I, I struggle with with this is you're trying to take a device that its entire attraction is that it's like single purpose and say, what if we bolted on the things you need to do professional level work? Like the stylus, I understand because uh, that's simulating a very specific kind of experience. 
But the minute they trotted out the keyboard, I was like, whoa, wait. Why would I buy this $1,000 not MacBook when I could just buy a MacBook for actually less money and it's a more yeah. powerful device? And that's where I'm starting to feel well, like... Don't don't you think there is a, a, a big population of like professionals in a career that are not computer professionals they're 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 in business they're in accounting they're in any number of fields where they need access to desktop software now i call it desktop software because (laughs) you only get like half mobile versions when you use the the mobile apps um that they don't need a terminal they don't need all these all this cruft from 20 years ago and they they like how their phones are easy to use but they need more advanced software but they don't want to leave the paradigm of this easier to use thing yes yeah i i think absolutely those people exist but is it for the the product creators, so for your Microsofts, your Apples, your Dells, your whoever is building the machines and the software that runs them, is it easier to completely reinvent the OS and then scale it up to where you hit like 80% of your users and then there's like peripherals that will get you the last like 20% of the way? Or is it more likely that what has happened would continue to happen even when there are other options, which is think about like the non-technical, the your average non-technical stereotype who sits down at their computer and has no idea about the vast, vast majority of things it can do, but knows that the little E means Facebook. You know, they, they double click <laughs> on the little E and they get the MSN homepage and then Facebook's right up there in their bookmark bar. Like is doing that with your fingertip instead of a mouse really that much more superior of an experience for the end user because the well is so deep from where they're standing you know the ocean is so vast like it's not like if it was a million miles more vast it's not like it would matter because they already can't see past the horizon and the thing i don't mean this in a negative way i just feel like it's you're you're not helping the low-tech people you are just harming the high-tech people (laughs) I think there's an argument to be made there that they could be helping the low tech people though. Um, that, I mean, the, how many people that aren't, that don't, they aren't skilled up in being good at a desktop OS that you see that the, the desktop of OS 10 or windows is the giant bucket that holds everything. <laughs> um, the majority, and this is anecdotal, but the majority of my non-techie friends, if I ever see them using a desktop computer, there's just thousands of things <laughs> on their desktop because file system beyond that thing that's always there is confusing and overwhelming and beyond them. And I mean, Google's done a good job with this. All their web stuff is so searchable that it, you know, like search is kind of their, their solution to the mess. Um, and I mean, everyone's kind of adopting search in different ways. Um, no, I think this is an interesting experiment we're seeing because I do see Microsoft as another part of this experimentation of can we simplify the desktop without losing it, um, losing the the power of complexity that the, what you can do with it, and Apple being more of a bet on maybe we can grow up without losing simplicity. Um, 
And then in another way, you could see Apple's hedging. They haven't killed off the MacBooks. They're still making new ones. They just created a brand new one this year that's... Uh, you got one port. <laughs> we'll see if that changes. But, um, you know, they're not just trying one thing on it, but I do think they, they kind of hope the iPad finds its place. It's kind of... It, it made a big splash, and then it's kind of just faded for the past five years gradually. And then this is another stab. And if this doesn't work, maybe they'll abandon it and just be like, yep, phones and, and Macs. But Maybe this is where part of my my nerd frustration lies, which is... I really thought it was impressive when, even though I disagreed with some of the design decisions that Apple made around the older iPhones before they went to bigger screens and, and the five, was it the five S that was like the 69, the skinny tall one? The five was the first the five. One. Yeah. I never, it was very pleasant to hold, but I always thought the screen looked awkward, but that's <laughs> again, that, you know, that's neither here nor there until we get to this design discussion in a minute, but I I always respected like, oh, there's the MacBook Air, which is for the people who need a portable computer. There's the MacBook Pro, which is for people who need a powerful computer. Then there's the iMac, which is for people who need something that's just plugged into the wall. And then just go screw yourself. Like that that's it. That's what we make. That's what we sell. But now there's a lot like I mean, think if you have an iPad Pro and a MacBook Air and a MacBook One and a MacBook Pro, there's a whole lot of overlap in what you can get done on any of those devices. And there's overlap on even things like, well, do you need a lot of battery life? Well, they all get pretty good battery life. Well, do you need a pretty good keyboard? Well, they all kind of have the same keyboard. <laughs> well, do you need a relatively simple, simple user interface? Well, these have one user interface and this has one user interface, but if you have an iPhone, you're already familiar with both kind of anyway. So I just, it's like if I, I almost wish they would just say like, okay, the MacBook one was a joke. JK, we're not really doing that. Um, the MacBook air is now done and now it's just like iPhone, iPad pro and, and MacBook pro. And then, you know, yeah. desktop stuff for people who, who want desktop stuff. But I just, I could, I could even imagine them saying, you know what? Uh, no more iMacs. It's just if you want a big screen, you have to get a cinema display. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I could see the desktop officially dying. I mean, maybe they'll reduce to just one iMac at one size and no Pro, nothing else. Um, mm -hmm. I, I could see that. I mean, they don't make servers anymore, which is good. <laughs> well, and they haven't updated the Mini, I think, in a while. Or they did an update, but it was like a token <laughs> update. I think, it, yeah, they got the latest Intel processors and maybe a new memory controller, but it's like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, they do have a lot of products right now. And, uh, you know, the Apple TV finally got some love, which <laughs> is not one of our topics today unless we talk about the flat design. But, um, no, they have a lot going on. And, uh, like, if, if they're good, they, they do need to simplify. But I also see as, like, they have these big buckets where they they do experiment so the ipad pro is let's figure out pens and and like if we can grow this thing into a professional area um the phone uh, the iphone is kind of one of the it always gets the newest stuff first pretty much for their mobile stuff whether it's a new touch new screen um you know different kinds of laminates whatever um 
And so I expect this 3D touch thing to go to every device eventually, just like Retina did, just like um, anything else, force touch, whatever you want to call it. Um, I expect the other iPads to eventually support the Apple Pencil. I just think they're like, we got we to gotta shoot for the moon first and see if we can sell this and then trickle down economics to the rest. But So you think maybe what we're seeing is an expansion of the uh, the product line before the contraction so they'll they'll expand try new weird things that make sense in those expanded product lines and then cherry pick like okay that feature was cool this turned out to be dumb and then well i think absolutely apple does that and i i think the new ipad pro shows us that they're curating what microsoft has been doing and saying like there's some things about the surface that may be good ideas and also that people like and so we need to take a close look at this. And I mean, they've made some different decisions in that the, the stylus is very clearly not intended to be used all the time. It's, it's intended, oh, you're drawing now. Use it while you're drawing. And that it's not included. It's, you know, it's expensive. Everyone's complaining about that. Um, and, you know, there, there is a keyboard attachment, but I don't know. It, it's sort of like... They, they they ripped off a bunch of things, but you know, in the Apple way, that it's like their own riff on it at the same time. It's well, a you know, and the time I said this at the beginning when we were talking about video and and patent law and stuff, and I would actually be really in favor of this behavior if it couldn't be followed up with litigation. <laughs> like if Microsoft or Google or HTC or whoever could now turn around and be like, oh, neat, that is a really good way to do that keyboard cover. We're going to do it that way now, too. But of course, they can't. And for some reason, Apple is like the golden child who's like, yeah, we steal from everyone, but well, no one ever and, sues us. And famously, Apple and Microsoft share patents uh, a lot. So True. it's sort of like, we'll do this. Call y'all. Did you see this comment? I'm going to throw the this comment into the show notes. But did you see the the iPad Pro was predicted like in this comic uh, like three years ago, and it's exactly on the time frame the comic had laid out. It's it's kind of well. The other one is very amazing. The the four picture spread of Steve Jobs like iPhone, iPad, iMat, (laughs) iBoard, and it's like. They're kind of going that trajectory too. A little bit. Um, I do have to say, all the the non like all the drawing stuff looked great in the demos. All the stuff of like lady reading a magazine with the iPad Pro just looked ridiculous to me. Totally ridiculous. <laughs> it's heavy. I mean, it's by, as heavy as like, the original iPad. Yeah, which everyone agreed was heavy for one-handed reading, though lighter than the Surface. So it's somewhere in the middle there. But, but I, yeah, I've never I, seen I really, the Surface really pushed as a like Kindle competitor. Like you can hold it like a book. Well, that's its no man's land of like as good as a tablet. Just kidding. Use as a laptop, please. <laughs> well, I'm, I think most of the recent marketing is the tablet that can replace your laptop, which is, I think in that case, in, in Microsoft's defense, I think they're using the word tablet to really viscerally communicate it has a touch screen. Because to say a laptop with a touchscreen like that, those have been around for several years now, and they are not landing. Like they are not landing at all. And it doesn't help that Windows Eight was like the worst touch interface since <laughs> Windows XP. But it's, uh, I, I think, calling it a tablet, even though it doesn't meet a lot of the other conditions of a tablet, <laughs> like it's holdable with one hand yeah. and 
comfortable as anyway. Um, and I think as I, before I, I wrap this up, cause I do want to make sure I get to this. There was a company called 53. Yeah. I like their app. Yeah. That made a product called pencil that will now is, is immediately overshadowed by the SE mighty SEO mightiness of people talking about the Apple pencil. Like normal pencils are now going to have lower <laughs> SEO rankings than the Apple pencil. So I feel a little bad for them, but I think if you choose a name that generic for your product, you understand that you're gambling, right? Yeah. And usually you can't even get a trademark on something that's as simple as pencil. Um, oh, yeah. The, I, I doubt they own an actual trademark. It's probably pencil by 53 or something is what they right. trademarked. But yeah, and they yeah they they famously had a, a stylus. There's a whole bunch of you know capacitive styluses for the iPad, which on some other podcasts I was listening to, apparently those are really popular with stereotypically older people, like even you <laughs> even on their phones, and not just like Galaxy Notes or something, but like apparently using your finger is not what people want to do sometimes. Yeah, you know my. Uh... My father actually uses a stylus a lot of the time with his gigantic screen Android phone, and I thought it was very awkward, but the reason he likes doing it is actually because he has kind of large hands, and he uses like a really dainty, like an old-fashioned like Palm Treo style stylus, because then his hand is not in the way of the screen. And if that was not a tremendous segue to the flat design topic, <laughs> I just don't know. Yeah, so this is not apropos of any news, um, but I, I just kind of wanted to have this hash this out uh, live in a podcast. But um, <laughs> flat design, this is not even timely. This is a couple years after all the major platforms, you know, following after Microsoft with Windows Phone and modern, as they call it modern design now, I think. Um, yeah, modern UI. And then Android with material design and then iOS 7. Uh, I think that's two years ago now. Um, yeah, they're all a couple years ago now. And uh, very famously switched to flatter design, getting away with textures and felt and wood panels. And even, uh, you might argue there's still sort of glass involved, but not really. Um, very, very flat design. Buttons don't look like physical buttons. They're just labeled text or rectangles of color um, or circles of color. And the question I kind of wanted to pose is, Clearly, this isn't fashion now. All the major companies have switched to it. Web design has largely switched to it with most of the the websites I see. It's no longer cool to have a fake desk with a coffee stain on it at the top of your blog. Maybe that was never cool. <laughs> yeah, it was never cool. It was common. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so we're, we're seeing like everyone kind of embrace this minimalism. And I do think there are some clear benefits over kind of the the you might say the the overdone skeuomorphism, especially of iOS six and before there was like you know the everyone points out game centers like green felt like craps table uh, but yeah um but I I just in the interest of having the full devil's advocate argument is flat design actually better um are there limits to it being better what when can it go wrong um, will this go out of fashion we'll find out you can achieve the same goals without restricting all the artistic license down to flat colors and simple shades. So I think there's uh, a huge spectrum, obviously, of, of what's flat and what's skeuomorphic. I mean, if it, the stitched leather, the, the, the handcrafted Corinthian leather, like, <laughs> and the, the green felt and the, 
Like, oh, look, the post-it note looks like an actual post-it note. And look, it's on a background that looks and like an actual pegboard. the corner's folded over. <laughs> oh, yeah. So that, that kind of stuff, like, I'm sort of checked out on that. And I think, in general, we have now crossed the line where people understand how you interact with computers and you don't have to do that kind of simulation of the real world to get your point across. And we've, you know, done research and discovered other things about, you know, human computer interaction to help bridge some of those barriers all that being said when ios first was like flatten all the things they went way too far way (laughs) way way too far and i realize now that i use ios regularly uh with android still regularly even though the the s6 that i have has a bunch of touchwiz crap on it and all of samsung's bloat nonsense i never ever catch myself asking can i click on that like if i tap that is that gonna do a thing is that a button is that a link is that do i swipe on it like what the hell does that do i never ever on android catch myself asking that and on ios i'm constantly asking that yeah and uh you know we we have an article here that we'll share called uh flat design destroying apple's legacy or saving it you know as hyperbolic (laughs) as possible but they, they have a list of questions that you you should never have to ask when you're using a, a UI. And it's a good list of questions. Like you mentioned one of them. Can I click that? Will something happen? Um, let me find the list real quick. Um, am I in the right app? You know, do you recognize where you are in the system? Um, um, did that tap do something? Um, you know, all sorts of things like this. Um, what is the purpose of that menu bar? Um, is the shift key active? Which uh, <laughs> finally, that um, was a nice little dig. I appreciate that. Apple has uh, capitulated the, the keyboard in iOS nine, which I've I've installed the GM. Um, the, the keys. So, if you haven't used iOS, all the keys are caps, whether or not you're shift or not like the the display of the letters on the keyboard, which wasn't a big problem before iOS 7, but it got very confusing very quickly in the flat design. So that's a perfect example of flat, whatever you think of the aesthetics, being a worse experience. And uh, with iOS 9, it actually shows lowercase keys, and when you click shift, it switches to uppercase, and it's like, thank you. Like I don't <laughs> care if you like capital letters better. I need to know what I'm typing. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, I, I do think Apple has fallen prey to the fashion either way, whether too much skeuomorphism or, in this case, too much flatness that they're kind of having to back off of it. I do want to kind of shit on Microsoft a bit, too, though, because I think Windows 8 was uh, their big sin was not so much the flat design of the, the look of things, but the gestures being hidden, all the swipes in from the side. Um, it like teaches you once when you first install Windows 8, and then it's like, good luck. Remember all four of those things, <laughs> and like, and like if you're using a mouse, we'll put it in the corner and then pull out from the corner, and we'll we'll show you multitasking. And just like, what are you doing? Like, no, don't do that. I, and fe- I, th- I feel like they admitted tacitly by taking a lot of that away in 8.1 and then even more of it in 10. Like, yeah, yeah. those are not great decisions. <laughs> And I mean, I think the clear thing there is just like with these questions asked about, is that clickable? Am I in the right place? Did that work? Um, gestures that you that are invisible need to mostly be optional because they're not discoverable. Like maybe you can trust people to know about tapping and pinch to zoom, but I wouldn't go much further beyond that in terms of assuming someone knows they can do something. 
I mean, just the other month you were like, oh yeah, and Slack, do a three finger swipe and you can switch teams. <laughs> There's no way I would have discovered that. <laughs> nope, not and, on I purpose. Mean, it wasn't required to their credit. I could still go through the menus, but that, that's what I was complaining about was like, oh, this takes forever to switch teams. Yeah. And so we were, we were talking before we pushed the record button like idiots about, uh, some of this, this design nonsense that's going on and like force touch coming now. So that, was that first on the Apple Watch and then in the yeah. trackpads? Yeah. Okay. So, uh, you know, it's it's now coming to the iPad Pro and it's I think on both of the new iPhones and it will probably eventually be everywhere unless Apple decides to abandon it for some reason, which they're not big on doing. Uh, it's not on the iPad Pro. Oh, it's um, not. So, I I imagine it'll eventually get there. This is probably like prove it out on one device and then it'll spread everywhere. Um iPhone gets it iPad just got the pencil. Nothing else can use the pencil. Um, okay, so my the the point I'm getting to here with this is um, what I what I said before we started the show was with long press and and just like a, a press, you are 100 percent clear on which one of those actions you took. You know, I either pressed or I pressed and held right, just like clicking versus double clicking, like the feedback. In just your... I do have an objection to that. Okay, uh, and that's uh, a lot of now. a lot of mobile uh, <laughs> systems um, favor drag motions. Like they, 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 if if they sense your finger is still there and it thinks you moved, um, I've had this happen in iOS a lot. When I want to long press a button and it thinks I'm dragging, and um, I don't know, it's kind of a niche thing. But there's times where I long press and nothing happens, and I'm like, yeah. But I'm long pressing. No, that, that's exactly true. But my my point is with uh, the force touch or the 3D touch, whatever the hell they're calling it now, it's there's no indications that I'm aware of in the current iOS design that indicates you're pressing with like a normal press. Now you're pressing 10% harder. Now you're pressing 50% harder. Now you're pressing the maximum amount of hard. And this is where I think Google's material design could actually have integrated this functionality really easily because when you long press on a lot of things that are material design, I don't know, compliant or, or they're using material design, there's like a glow away from the central, like wherever you're pressing. So it indicates like, hey, we're still registering this as a press because, yeah. you know, uh, Android just has normal press and long press. So it's there's a visual indicator like, hey, you're pressing. So because these things have like height and, and depth to them, um, they could show like you're pressing through the object in some like really obvious visual way with this completely flat, all white all white text, all white links, all white borders, like everything on the screen is white, just like Johnny Ives room, then <laughs> how do you get that feedback? And I really doubt that the haptic motor that's in the screen is going to be so sensitive and that human fingers are so sensitive that it's like, oh, well, it, it vibrated just a tiny bit. So that means I pushed at 50%. Oh, it vibrated a tiny bit more. That means I pushed at 75%. Like, I don't know how the hell this is going to work. Yeah. Um, I, I do think there, there's, you described visual methods of feedback, which there are some in iOS. Um, apparently, the, the big thing these days is blur all the things. <laughs> but um, 
I, I do think it's interesting to explore physical feedback, which you know I've enjoyed it on the Apple Watch. I think it's it's a really nice touch. The notification tapping it it's uh, different than the jolt, the the Harrison Bergeron jolt, as I described it, of the the oh, Pebble yeah, Watch. Make you forget what you're doing, yeah. Yeah, and the Pebble was just like, and there was no strength setting. Maybe the newer Pebbles have more nuance, but the the one I had was just like, jolt, and I was just like disturbed every time. So I turned it off, and then I would miss notifications, and I'd be like, oh, why do I even have this thing? Um, <laughs> and so I've seen that work well, and that's a different case, but it also it also does a little tap when you do a force touch. And I, I want innovation there. I want like... Yeah, when if you're going to do stuff with different levels of pressure, you know, whether you're fast forwarding faster or a lot of their stuff was, you know, and I think a lot of it comes down to this is optional extra sauce and um, that no one has to use. You can tap the mail app and you can tap a message and you can just look at your message that way and then tap back to get out. But the, the peaking um, is shortcuts that aren't live or die. And um, if if they get the feel of it right, then it's an ad, and and it doesn't take away from someone who doesn't care about that or doesn't like it or doesn't want to use it. Yeah, I mean, it, there's a very difficult to walk line here. Of we added new functionality that if you never discover it, doesn't drastically worsen your experience, and also balancing that with the app is more powerful with a limited set of interactions. And the, the the way I'm imagining this in my head, tell me if you think this is a metaphor too far, but the way I'm imagining this in my head is say you sat down at a computer and you had a keyboard and a mouse, but you didn't know how the keyboard worked. So you were only using the mouse and you had to use like the on-screen keyboard to type in text. So it's like, yeah, you you could use the computer exclusively like that, but would you? Like, would yeah. you eventually demand some better way to input text? So mm-hmm. if you are an app designer and you have, uh, they can tap, they can swipe, they can long press, they can force press, they can long force press because you could like really like, oh, like dig your finger in there. <laughs> you know, So like you have like half a dozen different ways they can interact with a single touch target. So... Are you going to design around all of those? Are you going to design around like the two common ones and then the two least common ones will be shortcuts to those two common ones? So like, I mean, this is like... These are frontiers. I mean, you have to hash it out. (laughs) I just don't know. um, this, This is that chicken and egg problem that everybody always talks about with Apple, especially... I mean, Microsoft and every other tech company has this problem, but Apple like gets all the praise, and they, <laughs> it's like so they build the iPad Pro, but there's no Pro software. But you couldn't write Pro software until you had a Pro device to write it for. Yeah. So it's like one of them had to happen first. So these gestures had to exist before people could make applications that relied on these gestures to do new and interesting things. But the gestures will only survive, I think, if people in fairly short order, find new and interesting things yeah. to do. Well, when I, I, there are every once in a while you have one of those gestures that becomes, I, I hate to use the, the Joni Ive, the inevitable, but um, <laughs> the, the guy who, I think Tweety is one of, it, may, it might be the first example, I, maybe someone else came up with it first, but the pull to refresh is one of those things mm. that's like, yep, everything must pull to refresh now. And it's just like, it's the perfect combination of, 
things people were already doing. You're scrolling to the top of your timeline. So why not give me more? <laughs> like, it's just so like no one had done it before that. But, you know, and I think Tweety was like a year or two after app stores happened. So it was relatively quickly in the, the timeline of human app development for touch devices but it was one thing that like apple didn't think of it no none of the other platform owners thought of it but by having a ui playground and the tools there um we were able to discover some great things so you know maybe apple's idea of different levels of force to peak and go in it, it sounds like a good idea to me if they got the feel right but maybe someone will discover some better way to do it and um we'll see yeah, I'm I don't know. I think I'm I'm so limited in uh device interaction and input interaction background and research that I'm kind of like I I don't know, the keyboard works pretty well. Like <laughs> I got I got my keyboard shortcuts. I'm I'm doing pretty good. But really, it's because all of these just seem like middle steps until we get to the matrix, right? Where you just jack straight <laughs> in and it just reads your mind and everything is like brainwaves interpreted. And I know yeah. that's obviously sci-fi in a long way off, but the keyboard and mouse has been such a stable staple in my life yeah. of interacting with computers and everyone's life of interacting with computers. And touch was such a, a huge revolutionary leap forward because it, you know, Apple just freaking nailed it with the original iPhone and everyone immediately rushed to copy it because they did it so well. And, there haven't yet been an there hasn't yet been another like I don't think people are falling all over themselves at Google and Microsoft to copy Force Touch. We'll see. I mean, I mean, maybe Huawei announced a very similar feature a week or two ago for their new phones with the orange. Is that the one? Well, they, they the screenshot from their conference or their their keynote event or whatever was an orange on the phone and the phone was able to act. Oh yeah. They weighed the orange. Yeah, exactly. Totally and ridiculous. That's a, it's a cool demo though. Um, yeah, it is. And, I mean, another company that gets shit on constantly, but is always playing around, even if they don't stick with things is Samsung. And then they've done a lot of like hovering type things, hovering over your phone to peek at things. And I think we've seen that that hasn't really worked out or, or caught on or been something people necessarily want to do. But I'm like, that's fine. Let's have a giant trail of mistakes till we get to the thing that works. Um, keep playing. That You know what? I'm actually going to give some major points to Samsung and, and the Android side of things there because those are much more googly ways of, instead of you saying like, oh, I fell asleep, I want the screen to turn off, the phone looks at you and says, you know, I think that guy's asleep. I'm going to yeah. just go ahead and turn off. Whereas most of the fronts that Apple is advancing on are you like willfully taking an action and the the device responding. And I don't think one is better than the other, but I, I want to see growth in both of those areas. I want yeah. the device to get smarter and more predictive and, and know me better and all that creepy googly stuff. Yeah. And I also want like, you know, beautiful looking devices with that have smart ways to interact with them. Like these yeah. are both good. I mean, I, I think Apple feels the heat that they do need to learn some of the machine intelligence stuff, and they're clearly iOS 9 is a stab in that direction. They're trying to do it without knowing things on their servers about you, which we'll see if they can keep up <laughs> with any sort of quality while trying to toe this privacy line. Um, 
But, you know, iOS 9 has some features. It pays attention to when you launch apps. If you open your feed reader every single morning, it'll now, if you swipe over to your Siri suggestion screen, it'll be like, eh, this? <laughs> um, Is this thing you, know, you want? This thing you're constantly looking at? And other Google stuff Google's been doing for a while now, like just, you know, knowing when you go to work and when you come home and all that trafficy stuff. And um, they're trying to get there, too. Um, but, yeah, Android's kind of been ahead on definitely that stuff. We got kind of far away from the flat design. I wanted to call out one other app that I think is an example of going too far in flat design, even beyond iOS 7's um, overdone flatness. And that's, did you ever see that app called Clear? For iOS, uh, no, as a, like a to-do list app. Yeah, it is. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. and so it's beautiful. It's a gorgeous app. It's got like <laughs> great color choices, like this really strong orange and red kind of color scheme. But then green and blue show up different times, and it's all gestures. And it's kind of like Windows Eight. So um, you know, you pull down or you you pinch between items, and a new list item appears, and you swipe different directions, and that's. You know, without any labels, um, maybe there were icons like check marks or X or something, but, you know, it would be delete or archive or, you know, different actions that we're using in our mail apps now, but better labeled in our mail apps. Um, this was one of the first apps to be like, flat all the things. <laughs> and it, I, I downloaded the app because I was just curious and it looked pretty, even though, I, you know, I never stick with any note or list app. Um, though I'm using Evernote now. Uh, this clear app was just clearly too far because the second time I launched it, I'm like, wait, how do I do things? <laughs> and nothing is labeled. Yeah, this is dumb. This is a dumb way to build software. Don't do this. It demos well. It looks beautiful. It's stupid. Don't do it. And that, I remember when that was announced and all the blogs were just like, oh my God, this is the most beautiful to-do list app ever. And then just like crickets, radio silence. No one ever talked about it again. I never knew anyone who ever actually used it. Like, I'm looking at their website and like I see the screenshots and I'm like, that is gorgeous. <laughs> but I just remember, yeah, it it's, being it's, terrible. It's going way too far. And I have to to throw it again. I think to Android, I vastly prefer the direction of material design than the direction of iOS. Yeah, and unfortunately, they don't enforce material design because i mean it's just the difference between the way the platforms are run they don't enforce it the same way so there's tons of apps that don't use it and will probably never use it but i really like and if i link to in the show notes that you can find at sunriserobot.net slash flipping tables slash 84 and the the guides are incredibly detailed down to each level of material is only one depth thick and then they tell you at what different depth different kinds of interactions should happen so that everything is predictable across if if it's using material design you know what's a button you know what a long press looks like you know what uh, a loading screen looks like so all of these decisions for the the app designer the 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 developer are just kind of made for you and then you sort of brand it and customize it in a way that that helps you stand out. And I mean, I have lots of material design apps that I really love and there's zero confusion between them. I never look at like the calendar and pocket casts and Gmail and go like, oh, I don't know which one I'm looking at because they're all material yeah. design. So, but with flat design, like the crazy ultra minimalist, everything is white. Everything just looks like text. 
then they kind of do all blend together. There's no room for color. There's no room for depth. It's yeah, and that's definitely one of the complaints I would have about flat design is I don't want everything to look the same. And I, I do kind of miss, I think one of the, you know, this isn't necessarily usability impact, but icon design has gotten so freaking boring. Everything <laughs> is just like a simple shape and on white or it's inverted and it's white symbol inside color. With and the 45 degree angle shadow. Yeah, and most of them are blue, and I'm just like, stop bluing everything and stop. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I'm severely bored by flat design, which, you know, is a different discussion than the argument about whether it's actually good for users, but it's still relevant. I mean, I, I look back at some of the admittedly skeuomorphic icon designs, and some of them are just gorgeous. I watched a a fat, you know, like people are making these creation videos where they time lapse themselves going through like an entire Photoshop project, and you just get to see them at like twenty speed making all the tiny changes to something. And I was watching this guy design a very skeuomorphic light bulb. It, it had glow and shine, and it was just amazing. And it looks so good. And I was like, that's so out of fashion right now. You can't launch a realistic looking icon for your app because people are like, no. All right, you want to button this up? I think so. So that was episode 84 of Flipping Tables. Uh, thank you for listening and making it this far. And if you have any thoughts about flat design or the iPad Pro or drawing on tablets, please send them our way. Um, you can find show notes and links to all the articles we talked about at sunriserobot.net slash flipping tables slash 84. And uh, if you do want to send some feedback our way, you can find links to our Twitter accounts on that page. Um, or if you're just uh, on the go and want to know what our handles are, I'm at Medwards Music and Lions, you are... At Lions in Beta. And uh, if you want to catch every new episode and never miss one, uh, you can subscribe uh, just in your favorite podcasting app. I like using Overcast.fm, and uh, you're still using Podcast Addict. It's uh, Pocket Casts. Uh, Matt of Bits and Pieces uses uh, Podcast Addict. And uh, you could search for Flipping Tables in there, or you can use the RSS or iTunes buttons on our website and uh, find us that way. Um, that way you get new episodes automatically. They're ready to go every Tuesday we release a f- new Flipping Tables. Um, if you'd like to support our network, um, you can head to our... We have a Patreon campaign where people can pledge uh, to support Sunrise Robot, and that's awesome. If you go to patreon.com slash sunriserobot, you can find info there. There are some perks. Uh, you can get your name on our credits page on, page on our website, or you can even get mentioned on episodes of Flipping Tables or the whole network. Uh, we have six different shows right now. And uh, we want to give special thanks to our top Patreon supporters, Bruce Edwards, Matt Mariner, Sean Byrne, and Andreas Landa. We love you guys. All right, we'll see you next week. See you next week.